What is the church? Is the church a building? Is the church a pastor? Or the staff? Is the church the music? The tradition? Or the ministries? These are all good things, but they are not the church. Take them away, and the church is still here. Why? Because you are still here. The church is you. The church is you with a purpose. The church is you on a mission. The church is you with a plan, a simple plan to plug into God at a weekend service, to charge up in a small group community, to live out using your gifts and passions, and to pass on your faith to those who do not know Christ. When you and I live like this, all the things we used to do in church become things we do as the church. God desires it. The world needs it. And we are called to be it. What is the church? The church is you. In our world today, there are so many misconceptions of what the church really is. And there are people all over the world today in church, all over our nation, all over our state, all over our city in church today. And still we, 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 we have a hard time understanding what the church really is. And it's not a building. And again, as we continue to get focused on these characteristics that those outside the church need to see in us, Hopefully, as we understand accessibility today, we'll get a little better grasp on what the church really is. Let me start today with this story. A man was working on a construction site. Accidentally, he shot himself in the hand with his nail gun. And those of you who have ever used one of those machines, they can do some funny things, especially if you don't pay a whole lot of attention. It just so happened that they were stationed, positioned right across the street from a hospital. So his foreman said, well, go get it checked out. And he went over to the hospital. And when he went in the door of the hospital, it was just kind of a very plain setting. There was a plant, there was a little table, and there was a lamp. And then there was a door marked emergency and another door marked non-emergency. And he looked at his hand and he said, well, it's not that bad. It's just a nail and went like right through this. It's not that bad. So he went through the door marked non-emergency. When he got into that room, it was a pretty plain room. There was a table, there was a lamp, and there was a plant in the corner of the room. And there were two other doors marked mild pain or severe pain. And he thought, well, it's not that big a deal. It doesn't hurt that bad. So he went through the door marked mild pain. As he passed through that door, he found himself in another simple room, one table, one chair, one lamp, a plant in the 
corner of the room and two doors, one marked cash and one marked credit. Well, he had been working all day. He had no cash on him, so he went through the door marked credit. When he went through that door, he found himself back out on the street. And he thought, well, it's not that bad. So he pulled the nail out and he wrapped his handkerchief around his hand and he went back to work. When he got there, his foreman said, hey, that was quick. Did they help you over there? And he said, not a lick, but that's the most organized hospital I've ever been in. When it comes to the church, I think God is more concerned with obedience than organization. And if I had to choose between the two, I think I would choose obedience. You see, our world is not going to be changed by a well-organized church, well-structured programs, magnificent buildings, more functional church boards, or longer team meetings. That's important, but it's not going to change the world, our neighborhood, our our city. These things are useful tools, but they can also be barriers, obstacles to accessibility. And ministry that could hinder our efforts and have an impact on our community. So, our world, our community, our neighborhood will begin to change when the church decides to to make life and help and hope and love and joy and peace and truth accessible. And this will come when we become more accessible. In our culture, we aren't very accessible people, are we? had a friend stop me out once in the foyer after a service and wanted to know how she could get an appointment to meet with me. She said, who do I need to go through? How backed up are you? I said, well, call me Monday and I'll try to squeeze you in if I can. Not a big deal. I've told Diane many, many times here, Uh, There are some times when I just shut myself in and I have to do some study or some special things. So unless my wife calls or the boys or the daughter-in-laws or the grandkids, hold those calls. Had a friend call me one time and they wanted to talk to me, so they told Diane that they were one of my grandkids. I am Gary's. It was kind of a funny thing. But, you know, sometimes we aren't very accessible especially in the church. As we continue this thing in, in Luke, last week we, we saw how Jesus was ready to go into the desert so that he could be tested, his integrity. Again, we are those fixed items that point people to Jesus, hopefully. And in Luke 4, the verses 14 and 15, the Bible says that after being tested, after going to the desert, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. If you know anything about the life of Jesus, Jesus was constantly on the move. He didn't wait for people to come to him. He went to them. He went to their places of worship. He went to where they, they, they hung out. He went to their synagogues. He was constantly going after those that needed salvation. And the Bible says that he taught the truth, and because of that, people praised him. He wanted life, help, hope, peace, joy, truth, and love to be accessible, so he made himself accessible. In fact, those of you who understand the very beginning of the time of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, 
The Bible says that God wanting to be among us and wanting to make himself and salvation accessible sent his son, born of a virgin, to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. To God, it's all about accessibility. Luke 2.10, salvation is prepared for all people. Luke chapter 3, verse 6, God's desire has always been that all mankind would see his salvation. You see, to God, it's all about accessibility. So today, what I would like to do is take just a few minutes and share with you the three main barriers to accessibility in the church today. And the first is wealth or money. The number one reason that people give in America for not wanting to go to church nowadays is because all the church talks about is money. That's all they want. Number three reason, it's full of hypocrites. Number two, it's the same old, same old. Church is stinking boring. And number one, all they want to do is talk about money. It was on a Wednesday morning in October, a bag of $20 bills fell out of an armored car as it crossed the Leo Frigo Bridge in Green Bay. Over $80,000 began to rain down on the heads of commuters. They say that people stopped their cars, jumped out on the interstate, and began chasing $20 bills. If you would have been on that road, what would you have done? I would have jumped out, started chasing, and pushing people out of my way to catch $20 bills. God doesn't want to keep his spiritual blessings and treasures, his wealth from us. He wants to share his wealth with anyone and everyone willing to receive it. He wants it to be accessible. Part of the problem with the distribution of wealth is greed, and too many times those who call themselves Christians, the church has jumped over the broken, hopped over the hurting and the wounded, ignored the needs of the poor as they have desperately tried to grab fistfuls of pleasure and treasure from God regardless of the need or circumstance. This information comes from a man who recently returned from a mission trip to Mexico. This picture that you see behind me is the Grand Cathedral in central Mexico City. It's been there over three decades It's the oldest and arguably the grandest cathedral, they say, in the land. He said part of their off day was to tour this facility, and he was taken back by its size, by its its construction. He said inside this building, pretty breathtaking, there is more gold and silver and jewels on the walls and in some of the, uh, uh, the, the, the trappings of the cathedral. He says there are marble statues inside, and he says what really bothered him, they had to wade through... Uh, waves of beggars just to get into the building. The little kids and the elderly were there and they were wanting anything that you could throw in their direction. He said as they toured the place, it was almost nauseating to see all that was inside. The church not really functioning, but it's there for tourists and to make more money for their economy. 
Their guide said the estimated value of the cathedral and the treasure stored inside was in the billions. The man goes on to say that the contrast of the extreme wealth in that church and the extreme poverty outside its doors made him physically sick. Interesting. That church is sitting on wealth that could change the lives of millions of people. And he says, I pray that they do have a plan to help take care of poverty in their community and to help the needy. But he says, based on what I saw there and the testimony from the missionaries who served there, they say that there is no such plan. He says it appears to him that they are to maintain a beautiful old building to keep the tourists coming and to keep the treasures locked up away from people who are in need. He concludes with these words, after the tour I left so convicted. It made me want to do more to help the people in my community. It helped me evaluate my own church experience. I want to do everything I can to make God's wealth, power, and love accessible to everyone. And sometimes that's the way it is with church. If you closely examine the life of Jesus, it was obvious, pretty clear, that he used a direct approach to help those in need. He hunted for them, he found them, he loved them, he ministered to them, and he wanted to offer the life, health, hope, peace, joy, truth, and love that he had to offer. He wanted to make that accessible, so he was accessible. In Luke chapter 11, Verse 46, we find the fourth of the six woes that Jesus used as he discussed life with the Pharisees. Woe to you if this happens or that happens. Woe to you. Those are the woes. He says there, you experts of the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Wealth, money, our attitude toward it can be a barrier between the church and the unchurch. The second barrier, believe it or not, can be clothing. There are some who don't feel comfortable going to church because they think they have to wear a certain style of clothes. And that's always kind of bugged me. I met a New friend at the gym not too long ago, and they said, hey, I want to come to church someday. I want to see what you guys have going on there. But do I have to buy a whole new wardrobe to come? I said, no, just come as you are, and I'm sure you will be A-OK. Those of you who have been around for a while, can you remember how we used to look downtown sometimes? Let's go back 10, 15 years downtown. The ministers actually wore boutonnieres Remember? With their suits and ties. Every Sunday, we had a boutonniere. That was so everybody could tell who the blooming idiots were in the church. That was the deal. Every Sunday after I spoke, I took my boutonniere off, and there was a little lady named Hazel. Remember Hazel? Hazel Stevens? She was a lady with some special needs, and she always made me a, 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 a boutonniere out of Kleenexes every Sunday. And we would trade boutonnieres. We would trade flowers. And she would tell me, now, Jerry, if you spray some hairspray on that flower, it will last for a long, long time. 
I never sprayed any hairspray on it, but I always remembered Hazel. She was quite a gal. I did her funeral a few years back, and she was buried towards... I can't think of the town. A little town that way. The service was at the Friends Baptist Church, and she was buried in the Friends Chapel. And those of you who knew Hazel, she had all kinds of friends, did she not? She was about this tall, and she would lift up every little kid that we had in our church, and she would give them a piece of candy out of this bag. But she always had my flower. The day of her funeral in her casket, I put a flower in with her because it meant a big deal to her. There was a time here in this church when you didn't see a whole lot of people who did not have on coat and tie. You know, there's a time when we were going through kind of a transition and I had some of the guys who take up the offering and pass communion on our information that we sent out to them. It demanded that they wear a coat and tie to do that. And I had friends call me up and say, hey, you know, I'd like to be a part of that, but I don't even own a coat or tie. And, you know, I had a hard time finding chapter and verse where it said, in order to pick up communion and offering in church, you need to wear a coat and tie. So I thought maybe it was high time that we struck that clause out of that paper. I don't know who invented the tie. I think it was probably some woman who wanted... (coughs) To keep us under, <laughs> I'm not anti-tie, okay? I still wear ties now and then. But why should it be a prerequisite for church? That's the way we thought. In our culture today, you can almost go anywhere dressed any way you want to be, and you're going to be kind of okay. Things have changed, haven't they? Ladies, can you remember back with me when you even struggled? Should I wear a pantsuit to church or not? I don't want you to date yourself, but can you remember those days? Don't know if we can do this. Can I wear pants? Seriously. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord does not look at the things a man looks at. The man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, again, I think we need to be appropriately dressed. Do you think she said the right thing? A young man just completed 12 months in Iraq, Afghanistan, off the coast. He was in the Navy. He said he had a spiritual renewal while he was serving. There was one time on the ship, there was an, an accident, and he was actually knocked off the ship, and was in the water for quite a while before he was rescued. He had some kind of spiritual renewal while he was on board. He was coming back for some leave, and he could not wait to get back and to share his story and to worship with people in a church in his home, his hometown. He said the first Sunday back, he got up and he got dressed, and he... He put on a nice polo shirt and some khaki shorts and some flip-flops. He had been wearing the Army uniform, the Navy uniform, excuse me, for a long time. And he just wanted to relax a little. 
drove to the church that he called his home and he pulled in a little bit late. He came in and there was just some seats over in the back. The place was packed and there were a few seats over there and, and he just kind of grabbed one by what he says was an older, well-dressed couple. And he said he really enjoyed the worship. Man, it was just unbelievable. Church was going pretty good and it's almost time for the preaching time. And there was kind of a little downtime and the older lady, she leaned over to him and she politely whispered, the next time you come to our church, you need to dress more appropriately. Do you think she said the right thing? He sat there stunned. No longer joy-filled. Now, he was a Navy guy, but he says tears began to well up in his eyes. And they began to just kind of bounce down his cheeks. And again, when it was quiet, he leaned over and he politely whispered these words to his new friend. Don't worry. There won't be a next time. He left the service and went back to his ship. He says, discouraged and brokenhearted. Now I ask you again, did she say the right thing? I mean, seriously. Woe to us when we load people down with burdens they cannot carry. Like... Man-made dress codes. God's dress code is simple. Righteousness. Shouldn't matter what we wear. What I hope and pray is that when people leave, they have put on some righteousness. I remember a time at First Christian downtown, going through a time of transition. Musically speaking, Our choir was a choir that sang usually almost every Sunday second service. Went through some transition. They went to a time where they were going to sing both services, but just one Sunday. They always wore what? Choir robes. Why? They were a choir. You know what they told me? They said, Jerry, man, we really love singing, but these robes are too hot. We know what it's like to be up front, and it's hot, and we don't like him. Can we quit wearing them? I said, hey, sure. I mean, you're the choir. You would have thought they were burning crosses in the parking lot. The choir not wearing robes. I mean, I actually had people calling me up. Why is the choir not wearing robes? I said, do they sound any better with them on? Do they sound any worse with them off? They are the choir, they are volunteers, and they have said, we really don't like wearing those things. So they quit wearing them. Could we still do church with choir and no robes? We did. God's still blessed. I know I'm kind of dabbling in some uncomfortable areas today, but the experts say that clothing is a big part of being an obstacle, a barrier, being accessible to a church. 
So money. So clothing, you're really not going to like this one. The church building itself can be a barrier, an obstacle for those who want to attend church. I mean, what is the church really? Is it a building or is it the people? You know, we've done this before. This is so much fun. Go ahead and put your hands together. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open it up and there's all the people. Are you with me? This is the church. This is the steeple. Open it up. Where are all the people? I mean, this is a building, is it not? What is the church really? The people. I mean, we are. Watch this. So my neighbors asked me some questions about the Bible, and I didn't feel like I knew how to answer it. Oh, man. Can you believe that? What a bummer. Church should really have something to deal with these kind of things. What do you mean? I'm glad you asked. Some kind of ministry, you know, like where the church goes out and talks about the Bible and stuff. Like a friend-telling Bible ministry. That way the church can do it, and I don't have to do it. That's right. (laughs) Let's Let's go go tell tell the pastor. Whoa! Who are you? I'm the church. Neato. No, not Neato. Did you not see my sarcastic air quotes? It says the church on your costume, too. You don't see my sarcastic air quotes there, too? I mean, what do you think church is? Some nameless, faceless building here to do all the things you care about, but you don't want to do it yourself? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you stay right there. I'll go talk with your friends. You don't have to. Guess we could help. No, 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 no. I got this. Well, you stay right there, and I'll be friends with your friends. We'll have barbecues, bonfires, and s'mores, and long walks at the park. Because I'm the church, and I'm friendly. You better get yourselves out there and do something. I'm not even real. Doing church to the unchurched can be kind of a difficult thing. This next year, I want us to pull out all the stops to be more accessible to our neighborhood, our community. Dee Snyder back here, she is now the vice president of the Neighborhood Association. Can't wait to come and sit in with them and let them know that we're here to stay. And we want to do all that we can to partner with this neighborhood to be more and better. I want us to find out what we can do for the neighborhood and then start doing those kind of things. I had a friend ask me when I walked in how my 4th of July went, and I kind of snickered. It was different, wasn't it, Debbie? You see, I had this, th- this idea. Last year, if you came here the Sunday after the 4th of July, our parking lot looked like a war zone. Remember that? I mean, fireworks, empty things everywhere. So I thought, you know what? If the neighborhood is going to come shoot fireworks, I'm going to be there with them. So around 8.30 or so, 4th of July... Debbie and I got some burgers and some hot dogs and, because I, I wanted to come out and just say, hey, good to meet you. Here's a hot dog. Here's a burger. How about a Coke or some water? And just kind of hang out with them, you know? 
had some people going to come and help me pull this grand idea off. We got here about 8.30 or so, and stuff was starting to light up all around us. It looked like, by 9 o'clock, it looked like a war zone out here. I mean, it was incredible. By 9.15, we had nobody here yet. 9.30, nobody here yet. About a quarter till 10, we packed it up and went home, and we had nobody here still. I mean, I thought that was a great stinking idea, don't you? I mean, let's have a party with the neighborhood. Thing is, they didn't show up. So now Joette's got all of her burgers and hot dogs already purchased for the teenager cookout in a couple of days. Maybe next year when we start summer, we send out a little postcard to our neighborhood saying, here's when Vacation Bible School is, here's when this is, here's when this, and oh yeah, by the way, 4th of July, come out here and we'll eat some hot dogs together. You know, maybe next year, instead of going to Burdett Park for an annual church picnic, why don't we just do it here and invite the neighborhood? Wouldn't it be kind of cool? I mean pony rides, I mean jumping jimmies, I mean bobbing for whatevers. And just do it here. And reach out to our neighborhood and become friends with our neighbors. Wouldn't it be kind of out there? No ties. You see, we have a tendency to believe that this is the church. And it's not. When we built this building, I knew that we could not build the kind of building that we really needed. We're going to have to build it in phases. And I told our guys that what we needed to start with was a worship center that we can play in. That's why we have basketball goals in here. That's why the chairs go away. We have a youth program. We need to have something for them. There will be a day, hopefully, when we will have an actual worship center and we'll be a church. Here's why buildings can be problematic for churches. You see, when the focus is on the box and not the body, then things begin to fall apart. Number one, buildings don't move, and buildings, number two, are not alive. Unlike a healthy human body, buildings are not mobile. The church is not an unmovable box that sits on a corner somewhere. The church is a healthy group of Jesus followers capable of moving and living in this world. And Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says that we are to go into the world. Not just come and sit, go into the world and teach them everything that I have commanded you and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Wednesday night this past week had a baptism. Had a friend a few days earlier had called and we had talked about church and he said, you know what, for the past two years, for the past several years, I've been in a very, very dark place. And I need to do this. It wasn't Sunday, it was Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. I didn't even have any chairs in here because my open gym guys had left the chairs out because we had something else going on. We had youth groups spending the night here from Minnesota, so we had to have a clear building. So we set up some chairs. There were some of you here. And we had a private baptism, and we celebrated because God is good, is he not? And my friend, who had been in a dark place, felt like he had finally come to his senses. You see, this building is just a building, but we are the church. Buildings do not move. They are not alive. 
And sometimes we get lost in the accessibility of a building. Anybody here like to fish? I mean, I grew up on a lake. And we had a dock that I'd go out and fish on. We, we also had a fishing boat, a little fishing boat. Sometimes I would get in the boat to fish because I knew they weren't biting at the dock, so I had to go to where the fish were biting. And that's why we had a fishing boat. You know, that's why we have softball teams here. That's why we have basketball stuff. That's why we have youth programs, so that we can go to where the fish are biting and do a little fishing, become accessible. Buildings don't move. They're not alive. And buildings don't grow. People do. Buildings don't. We're already at a time and place here where we we are trying to strategically plan on how we can get some more room here. And that's important. We're looking at things upstairs. We're looking at at other uh, possibilities because we we are at a point, and it's a good problem to have, where we just need more space. Isn't that a good thing? Buildings don't move. They're not alive. They, They don't grow. Another thing, buildings don't last. I think they should be multi-purpose, highly functional. They should be able to provide a variety of ministries. The building should be clean, safe, inviting, relevant, and appealing. Our focus should always be on how to use our building to benefit the people. Why buildings, buildings don't last, but people do. Do they not? And one more thing, buildings don't move. They are pretty solid where they are, but people can move. So they aren't alive, but people are. Buildings don't grow, but people do. Buildings don't last, but people do. And one more thing, buildings don't care, but people care. At times, some churches try to minister to the hurting from a distance, and Jesus didn't do things that way. He hunted them down, he found them, and he loved them and cared for them just the way they were didn't care how they looked or what they wore. When he saw them, he went to them, he got close, and he mingled, and he healed them, and he offered hope and forgiveness. That's the kind of church, the kind of people that God has called us, I think, to be. One more thing, then we're done this morning. I recently read an article entitled, Drowning People Can't Cry for Help. Let me talk to a professional. Corinne, you still lifeguard? Is that true? According to the studies here, I mean, I have some professional lifeguarding people. According to these studies, if, if, if a person is really drowning, they cannot call for help. And that's not the way it's pictured on TV, is it? I mean, people are like, help me. Hey, hey you in the blue, sh- help me. That's what TV portrays it, but evidently that's not the case. Evidently, a drowning person will splash and make some noises, but the Journal of U.S. Coast Guard Search and Rescue says there are instinctive drowning responses. Never knew that. So if you're ever drowning, you're going to do one of these things because it's instinctively placed in you. Here are the five characteristics. Except in rare cases, drowning people are unable to call for help. That's because we are wired to breathe first and cry out later. So you go down, you come up, you breathe. Correct? And then if you have a chance, you might yell before you go back down. Go home today, try this in your bathtub, all right? 
I mean, it might just kind of get you all fired up. Number two, drowning people, they can't stay above water long enough to exhale, inhale, and call for help. I didn't know that. Number three, drowning people cannot wait for help. When in trouble, they are forced to extend their arms laterally and press down to push them up out of the water. Drowning people cannot voluntarily move toward a rescuer or reach out for a piece of rescue equipment because they are trying to keep themselves above water. Didn't know that. Drowning people can only struggle on the surface of the water for 20 to 60 seconds and then they are a goner. The Coast Guard emphasizes that instinctive drowning response is triggered by a host of automatic nervous system responses. In other words, it is completely involuntary, unlearned, and unavoidable. I think there are a lot of people in our neighborhood that's drowning. Some don't even know it. They're in a dark place and they feel very comfortable now in a dark place. They've adjusted to that. Have you ever gone to the movies and when you walk in, it's kind of like, I can't see anything. Or one of those restaurants with the low lights, you go in there and you can't even see the menu very well. Well, it doesn't take long for you to adjust, does it? And then you're good to go. A lot of people in our world that are lost, and we need to be accessible to them. We need to plan strategically. We need to go out of our way to be uncomfortable, to be accessible to them. And they might come because we're here. However, we need to go and invite, don't we? Encourage, motivate. That's what God calls us to do. So my question is this, how accessible are you to your friends and your neighbors, your own family members. I mean, if Jesus were to come back today, would they be ready? You know, my whole goal as a minister is to haul as many people to heaven with me as I can. Is that your goal? People of integrity, people of accessibility, what God calls us to be as we stand, as we sing.